The world is large when its weary leagues two loving hearts divide. But the world is small when your enemy is loose on the other side. Distance by John Boyle O'Reilly. What's going on, guys? MDLP, Battle Axe Podcast. I was about to say the strongest, the strongest, <laughs> the strongest podcast, the strongest podcast, episode 27 revamp. This is the tribute to the greatest episode. <laughs> you guys should have been there. It was the greatest episode ever recorded, but it got erased. Everybody in the room that was with us, which yeah, was just it, us. It was just us. Said it was the best. It was the best ever made. So this is the tribute <laughs> to that. Um, I'm here with my handsome Barry Noto North co-host, Johnny Banks. What up? Welcome back. Thank you, everyone. And apologies for... You not being able to listen to the best episode ever, ever. <laughs> you, I mean, you should have been there. You gotta believe. <laughs> you have to. If you, it's not a matter of opinion. Like this is serious. Yeah, this is this is not us laughing and feeling like idiots. It's uh, it's your fault. Yeah, really, the listeners' fault. Tenacious D, um, <laughs> guys. Uh, I think this is gonna be. I just know. Sometimes you just wake up and know that you're just gonna hammer out the fucking spirit of things. And this episode is gonna be great for a few reasons. A, obviously, we're gonna talk about national stuff, but. There are some quotes that John has done so well of keeping track of because I forget that I even write most of these, honestly, just let them get lost in Instagram time. <laughs> but we are going to drop some fucking, some soul on these quotes that we talked about. But of course, always giving respect to those who help us and take care of us. Cerberus USA, thank you for giving us a discount to all our athletes and lifters. Med CBD, our, our local CBD guys, much love to that fam. BV305, always representing and helping the community. And of course, the Battle Axe Clan, who continue to be the light of this shitty-ass year. Because I'm just going to say it, this year's been pretty shitty. <laughs> now nah, I'm done. I try to be positive. It's been shitty, but you know what? I like it. Like, I like I like the obstacle. It is the fucking way. So, I, I, I got to say it now. Like, it's a shit year, but okay. <laughs> okay? Stephen Dog Poop got new shoes. <laughs> That's the guy I see it. There was once a rapper who said... Uh, Used to wear my my shoes until they fell apart, and now he says, "I hit the store when the lace get tore." So, oh, wow! See, that's where we're at. Twenty twenty one. Dang, I like that. And Nothing the new shoes. We're drinking the Glen Livid today, the light blue label. Looking for sponsorship for any liquor company? I don't care if you <laughs> make it in the toilet in the joint, man. We are ready. I just got an email from Four Loco. Yes, <laughs> this will be the, the second greatest podcast episode of all time. You guys are missing the first. Uh, so, so yes, nationals. Um, multinationals qualified yeah. coach slash strongman <laughs> slash. So yeah, <laughs> I know. So okay, I know. I hate that. It's so weird when I get the truth like that, and it feels like a comp- compliment, but it's the truth. So we had, I, I I qualified this year on the online stuff. There was an online qualifier for nationals this year, mm-hmm. just because a lot of competitions had gone down, so you had to meet a criteria. We had three lifters, one female, and two guys, and including, and then myself. We made four of us. Mm. Um, we all made it to nationals. I had a great showing as a team. Um, congratulations to Battle Axe Clan. Austin, Josh, Alex, or Alexandra, you guys did phenomenal. Alexandra coming in fourth place, missing her pro card by one spot, but making the Arnolds again. Um, Austin pulling 653, I think, in a stiff bar with kilo plates as the last event on the second day, which is... An insane PR. And Josh, who's in his lo- early 40s, competing in the Opens, taking top 10 at 175. That's beautiful. He took fourth in the H Stone Carry. You're talking about a grown-ass man with kids and a wife and coming out there. And, you know, Austin's, o- I've seen him grow 
from literally a, a baby. And look at this motherfucker now. And Alex was only, I think this is maybe her fourth, fifth competition or fifth, yeah. no, fourth, fourth strongman comp. I mean, fuck. <laughs> so <laughs> before uh, you get into the competition, yes. Um, real quick, because I've been thinking a lot about the online qualifiers. Yeah. What's your vote on stay or go? I'm going to say, uh, mm, good question. I'm going to say go because it'll really kill competitions. Mm. You know, why would you go? I mean, to me, to get to nationals, you should be a competitor, not somebody who's competing against yourself. Sure. You know, so to win first or first or second means you got to beat somebody else, means you got to put work. There's that stress. There's that competitive drive. You know, you got to be a wild animal and beat somebody else. When you have a criterium, you can train for that, like powerlifting, hit the numbers in your own, the comfort of your gym with all your songs and all your food. It makes it easier. I think it was understandable for this year because a lot of competitions were canceled, COVID. I mean, come on. Yeah. But going forward, I think as a promoter myself, you know, I would lose a substantial amount of lifters because they're just going to stay home. And why do I go to do Mike's show when I can just qualify with my bullshit? Right. Why would I risk injury when I can train for these numbers that are pre-existing? Get the numbers and fuck off. Sure. I mean, that's not what strongman's about. I mean, it is a competitive sport. It is to beat the person next to you. You know, if it was up to, you know, beating myself, that's, you know, but a, <laughs> that's a funny term, but still. Literally what I do. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Champion. <laughs> so you had uh, basically a great group of athletes all, you know, not only carry themselves in a very professional way, but to not only compete professionally, but also have very good shows. So where does that put you uh, in terms of, of being a coach in, in perspective of competition for your athletes? Hmm. So I really think when I, when I start to see, you mean for future shows? Well, the perspective of, of where you are now as a coach and where your athletes have come. Like for, oh, yes. Uh, okay. Alexandra's a great example of like, right. Very low in terms of competitions right. competed in, but... Right. So that's a good question. You're going to see in coaching, you're going to see... I mean, that being said, you know, she was an athlete, a softball athlete, did powerlifting before. Um, you know, Austin had played rugby. He's a very athletic person. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been gifted with both having people who are completely raw, empty, who never touched a barbell, and some that have come to me strong in the first place. Both people take a specific kind of criteria and attention. You know, the high-level athlete is, is fine-tuning. It is like somebody parks a Ferrari as a mechanic. You know that one wrong screw and that shit catches on fire and it's done and it goes nowhere. Mm. Or you get like your Honda Accords and your trucks that you can fucking duct tape and it will still show progress. Mm -hmm. That's how you see, you know, from the bottom of the barrel to the top of the barrel. Fine-tuning very small, minuscule changes that can add one mile per hour. But that one mile per hour is the difference between a pro card or state championship or a national championship title. And then you got your other ends, like your cord. You're like, oh, we'll just put whatever spark plug, whatever we get on the market. But it'll go like 20 miles an hour or last another 200,000 miles, kind of things like that. So yeah, both different perspectives, both take attention. And I think both are very rewarding. Now, not everyone can do both. I've been fortunate to be enough to be tested on both levels, including powerlifting, strongman, and just general strength and conditioning, or when I'm training operators, like I, when I train Navy SEALs. I mean, you're talking about the best of the best where 
it's week to week, day to day, where you're analyzing, understanding. With those guys being their their level of athleticism is so robust, you can give them a lot of work. But it's 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 a lot of stuff. Off topic, off topic, but on topic. Are you ever surprised by how much you can push those guys? Like the the seal types? Did I did I show you? Okay, you told me something about so uh, two five mile runs. Okay, (laughs) so I'm programming for my dude. um, That's a month for me. Who who is trying to try out for uh, SEAL Team Six? Big deal. Yeah, huge. We've been tra- I've been training him for two years. He's except he's a freak, exceptional. He came to me a freak, and then we fine tune him. The deal with high level athletes and ambitious athletes and Type A people is not so much their ability to do too much, uh, not to do it, is that they do too much too often. And it's, the, it's you have to bring them down a level. Because here's an example: I texted, I emailed him his programming, and I meant to put two point five mile runs. I fucked up, and I put two. X five mile run. So it looks like two five two times five mile run. So ten miles. <laughs> so you run five miles, you rest, and then you run another five. That's what he read it as. The return email, which he re, he re, you know returns the email with his update, yeah. was all it said was forty three dot 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 forty seven. That's it. So he ran five miles, took a break, and then ran another five miles, both under fifty minutes, chilling. I think the first one was like forty minutes. This is at the end of a workout in the middle of the week. I didn't get a text or an email. Hey, did you mean this? Nothing. Not even afterwards, like a little parenthesis, like this was crazy. Nope. <laughs> My God, dude. If I got that, I'd be like, yo, yo, hey, <laughs> I think you fucked up with this two X five miles. Also, he killed seven insurgents. <laughs> <laughs> Stop terrorism in one day. I'm like, holy Jesus Christ. That's nothing, man. I mean. I tell you, when I hung out with with SEAL team guys and um and my buddy Weaver, and we get really it, it's a competitive crowd. I was in a garage with my buddy, and yeah. we were training, and we were drinking, and we all start racing on the bike. Who can sprint the fastest? And there is no when you're around those kind of t- people, John. You really feel like you can take on the world because there's nothing you can't do. That's the attitude, and I love wow. it. It's contagious. It's like, well, you want to sprint? Let's do it. No, I got it. Fifteen, cool, man. You want to do that? Done. I, let's let's no problem. And you're like, damn, <laughs> I think we can like set fire to everything right now and that attitude is contagious so mm. it's a not only is it that those people bring that attitude to a room is that yeah. you're engulfed by other people like that so i can see when they say hey we're gonna hike four miles go kill like 10 bad guys in the middle of the night when we're outnumbered 100 to 1 and come back they're like okay <laughs> and they okay there's no just like it's a small example two times five miles okay there's no what are we doing? And you can learn from that. Like, and I, that's something when sure. I came back from Virginia, I was like, well, there's nothing you really can't do. You just got to fucking get after it. Yeah. But of course that also leads to overdoing it. And then they're all beat up at one point, but <laughs> at least in the meantime, you know, when they're fucking operating, it's, you nuts. know, I've, I've had the, the blessing, I guess, to meet Weaver on two occasions. And he's Best. not only is he one of the most badass people you ever meet, but he's also an every man. Every man. Which makes it so cool to just be in the presence of a guy who can be so dangerous, but treat everybody with respect. And love. That's great. And I think, you know, off topic, on topic, <laughs> I think when you, you see that amount of danger in your life, like, you're really appreciative to just wake up and chill. Yeah. And yeah, you can learn something from that. Like, we're, oh my God, traffic. I'm like, man, but I've never been shot at. 
I'm pretty sure if I was shot at, I wouldn't give a fuck if I stepped in dog shit. I'd be like, <laughs> at least I ain't dying, you know? Like I might use the dog shit as a slide to yeah. escape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, it's gonna use hardened dog poop to block this bullet. You know, like that predator scene. Yes, cover it up. No <laughs> one will see me. I'm like, okay, buddy, you're seriously done. Kill me! I'm here. <laughs> Come on. Oh, it's so good, it's like, sir. You just there's poop on you. I'm not gonna kill you no, now. This is predator, sir. You're embarrassing yourself. Yeah, get out of here, idiot. <laughs> and that's my Saturday night, folks. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about your performance at nationals. The one very cool thing to see is. The entire time, all of your updates were very enthusiastic. It felt like, as a viewer, as uh, someone you know supporting you outside, you felt very connected, but you also felt very appreciative of the opportunity. So, I guess I'll just spill my guts. Yeah. I started like that, and the first day, I was just, I mean, I trained four weeks, basically. About seven weeks out, I tore my hamstring. The next week, I, I pissed off a bulge, so I like almost herniated, a, like not herniated a disc, but I aggravated a bulge. Uh, so I went from, sorry, no, I aggravated a bulge first doing stupid shit where I couldn't even walk down the stairs for like two days. It was awful. Like the pain was like an eight. Shit. Then the week later, I started training again, and a week, two days after that, I tore my hamstring. It hurt my knee, my elbow flared up, and I'm just kind of... In crumbles almost for the first time, even my cousin said, he's like, man, for the first time I saw you like shook, like you were just like, I was like, uh, almost speechless, you know? Yeah. Uh, I took it day by day. I decided the concept, I'm like, I'm burning the boats. I want to go compete with my people. I don't know when I'll do this again. Um, and we showed up We with Triana, who mastered a very delicate but specific way of getting me there in one piece, you know, working with Locke, who was trying to put things together and my body together and, and Paul O'Neill who made my diet happen with the limited amount of work capacity. I mean, I was, I really tore that fucking hamstring. Um, I get there and I did good in the first day. You know, that 700 pound yoke was a fucking battle. Prior to that, I hadn't done much of anything. Um, the same thing with the throw. I did what I expected. I was having a great time. I felt great. And more importantly, my athletes were doing good. It was just like this general great momentum. Yeah. Day two, again, athletes were doing good. I, and on my log, I tore my tricep muscle, which was really deflating just because I didn't feel like I deserved that. You know, mm. I was like, really, motherfuckers? Like, fuck. And I almost thought I tore my tendon. Um, I was that bad. And then when I deadlifted, I decided to take 585. I could have pulled 619. I know I could have. But I didn't want to pull the tricep off the bone. I mean, it was really pain. It hurts. Yeah. You have a torn sure. muscle and on deadlifting, even though it's not tricep intensive, it's pulling on that muscle, and it was, what's well, worth it? I confided with Triano. who's was like, look, dude, it's not worth it. Because if you tear it off the bone or tear the tendon, you're, you're done for a long time just because of the strain. Mm. So that second day, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I even said, I'm like, man, let me take it better. You know, fuck it, man. You did good. You expected it. But at the same time, I'm kind of like in that, I was in this mood where, and I was confiding with, with Megan at the time. Sometimes I'm just tired of the, I'm proud for you for being here. And that gets old for me sometimes. It's like, yeah. I don't want a pat on the back. I want the gold medal. That doesn't die. Like you, <laughs> right. you can't be a person like myself who strives for winning and get the, I'm proud of you for trying. And people don't get that. 
that when you have flown close to the sun and you have seen the mountaintop and you have tasted so much that the that that feeling is uh is shitty it's like a, a good effort you know um i don't want always a participation medal and i get it you know sometimes people are like oh you're so inspiring i'm like get ugh, first of all stop second of all god it would be good to be inspiring and win or do really well right um and it it, it that hurt me like I, I i knew it too i felt it i'm like don't don't get upset with that don't get upset and i'm telling myself but i don't have a fucking coach <laughs> you see i don't have somebody there going it's gonna be okay mike yeah you did good and i don't have anybody there like that i don't have a, my coach there he wasn't there you know yeah. i don't have certain people that can trick me into you know getting better i have the people are trying to be supportive but it's hard you know, yeah. it's like when you're in a bad mood and your loved one goes, it's going to be okay. What do you do? It's fucking not, you know, because <laughs> what the fuck do you know? Yeah. idiot? Right. And I just felt that way for a little while, you know, and then, sure. you know, we went about our day. But a part of me was proud to have taken 37th out of 70, 74, 77 people, four <laughs> weeks of training. I looked good. My training was solid. My technique was great. I looked professional. I just looked all it looked like was like I needed more time. Not so much like. What yeah. are you doing here? It's but, let's not forget, and I think that we lose sight of this. I'm guilty, super guilty, because I get a look how far you've come all the time, and I'm like, right. I'm supposed to do that. What are you talking about? But that class oh, is yeah. fucking stacked. It is, and it's again, it is stacked. But I'm fucking good. Yeah, you are, and you. <sighs> this is where being a coach and an athlete. Is like suicide. You are literally holding the bomb and a lighter at the same time. You are in control with the lighter, mm -hmm. but you are absolutely ready to go with the bomb. You're just ready to give it all, and then you're just ready to control it. And a part of me knows these things. And there's very few people that can say, oh, I know what it is to be on both sides of that spectrum. But it's like, yeah, the class is stacked but I'm one of the best and I need to prove it. And that is a feeling that pulls me back into competition. I am sick and tired of hearing, you know, oh, thanks for not quitting. Fuck you. I'm a champion. Like I can win this. And that is inside of me and my soul. Like people ask me, why do you keep going? It's because it's, it's who I am. Like I'm not done yet until I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like I need to tell myself, I know when I feel that. So I'm feeling all these things at once and I'm human, you know, like I can feel myself. I'm like, oh, let it go. I'm like, oh, how can you let something go that you were born with? Yeah. How can you let that go? And I know, and I'm trying to coach myself and it's hard because no one can coach me. I'm just sitting there by myself in that sense. And that's, you know, whatever. But I'm also proud of myself. I'm also proud of my people and I'm trying to be happy and be a leader and put this fucking face on like, hey, we made it. Great job. But at the same time, I'm like, I just want to fucking destroy myself. Like, why did I, this happen? And why does this keep happening? And fuck, you know, if I wasn't getting hurt and you have these emotions or you're mm. being torn apart by the bomb and that lighter concept or whatever. And am I proud of what I did? You fucking bet. But I also want to be proud of more. Sure. I want to be proud of more. You know, I've been in this game for almost nine fucking years. And when you're sitting there and they're calling the people, 25 people to the Arnold, and it's your fourth time and it's not you, it breaks your heart. I don't care what you say. Sure. If you're a competitor and you're sitting there 
And for the fourth fucking time after seven years, your name's not being called. I want you to tell me what the fuck that feels like. And you can't unless you've been in that shit. And people are, don't get it because it hurts. It makes you sick. It's emotional. It's like somebody died. And that person that died is that loser that didn't get there. And you have to kill that guy. You want to know what that feels like? It feels like something's dying in your stomach. It feels like you've been broken up with. Yeah. And I'm supposed to just what? No big deal. Michael, you, I'm not a person that competes to have a good time. To be there. right? And I can't. And so in that aspect, I feel that way. And I don't expect anyone to understand that. <laughs> it makes me fucking difficult. I don't expect people who are not like me or champions or, or anyone like me to understand that. Mm. But I am simultaneously proud. And I'm also like, I use that now, you know, I'm still kind of, you never, you kind of reel after competition. I'm still using that energy to get after it. And like, I never want to feel that feeling again, which is why I'm not going to myself, which is why I'm still dieting. Obviously we're drinking today, but I also can tell you right now that I have 127 grams of protein left, 135 grams of carbohydrates, and 42 grams of fat left because I'm still fucking dieting because I'm angry. Yeah. I'm angry that I'm like, all right, I did this for three months, but let me put some fucking years into it. Let me let me get back into work. Let me stay with Triana and figure this neurology out because he did so amazing <laughs> with this fucking guy. Yeah. Um, and still talk to Locke and still keep updated and you know, kind of ease out of that feeling of... You know, obviously, and people will tell you, man, you should be proud. How many times does that ever work in your life? Yeah. Or like when people are like, yeah, man, why are you down, bro? Life is good. You're like, God damn it. You know what feels better? Yeah. Fucking winning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, by winning, yeah. Like, oh, how about top 10? Fucker, you know? I get it, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, yeah, I guess so totally. it's, it's, you know, and I remember talking and I was just saying, like, you know, one day, not one day, but soon, I want to be patted on the back. Because I won. Because yeah. I made the, my goals. Make the Arnolds. You know, be a force. And that's that's a feeling that I know I still have. And I, that's a part of what I left Nationals with, going, I still belong. Yeah. It's just that my road is a little bit harder. You know, as a, as a you know, competitor and a fan and a spectator of Strongman, you know, you mentioned that, you know, feeling like, why does this happen? And as a spectator, I can tell you exactly why. Because strongman is a sport that the only way to be good is to push your body beyond its limits. And so with that comes tears, injuries, scars, blood, all of it. Because there's the guys who are the top 10 are destroying themselves to be there. Yep. It really is. Nobody it's a gets fact. there for free, yeah. Um, but I would agree with you. I would agree with you. And, and, and I think that understanding... Pride in what you've accomplished is a skill, right? Yeah, because I'm terrible at it, <laughs> and and I'm not. Listen, I'm not a ten year competitor. I'm not. I'm not. But <laughs> I've walked a life that right. most people wouldn't get through, and I a lot of times it's difficult for me to even look at my life and be like, you know what, this is what I've built here is pretty cool. Now, 2020, I got a baby on the way, <laughs> right? Daddy time. I know. Holy shit! But it did offer me a perspective of like, man, you, you built something here that can support a baby. Mm. Like when that baby comes, I'm not going to be like, holy shit, how am I going to afford a baby? Or how am I going to take care of a baby? Because <laughs> I've already done the groundwork. Right. And that was 
that, you know, I've been competing a lot to get my life back as opposed to competing. I, I love competing mm. just in general. Mm. If we're eating sandwiches together, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to eat it first. <laughs> and you're going to eat a, you're gonna eat a whole sub? I'm going to eat a like, sub and a half, fucker. Yeah. Like, whatever, bro. It's just, you know, I think that's part of why we relate. But I think that it was good. When, when you compete, when you specifically, I'm talking about you. Mm. When you compete, it's not only therapy for yourself, but it's therapy for people who love you. <laughs> it's it's a blessing. I would say uh, competing is not therapy for me. Don't throw up on on this desk. No, I don't. It's not. It's expression. Oh, I don't. Uh, a lot of people may disagree, but I don't use, and I don't think I've ever used. And and I'll be honest, I may have used a word before, but. I never use competing as a way of therapy. I use competing as a way to express the person that I am. It is an Very ability well for me to show you that I am willing to die for who I am. It was in rugby. It was in fighting, in powerlifting, and Highland Games, and not so much death, but willing to push my body to its absolute breaking point to show you that I am a lot more than you think I am. And I am not going to be defined by a sport. It's just a way for expression. It's like different tools of art, you know, yeah. charcoal and acrylics. Sure. And it's not therapy for me because uh, therapy comes from within. It's not cathartic, although cathartic expressions are great for you. But when I consider it therapy, it's a dangerous road because I've been injured. I used to think this way. I used to think training was a way of therapy until I got hurt and I couldn't train anymore and I almost fell apart. And then I said, oh, fuck. <laughs> now what? Yeah. You know, this is my whole therapeutic world. Who am I? What am I? What's the point of to keep going? Like, why am I doing this? And I realized that I was not going to be defined by a sport or a muscle size or a definition of my abs. I was going to use that as a way of expressing myself. And it was, I had the whole world mix up because until you get really hurt, and I mean that physically and figuratively and spiritually, you will never know what you had to express yourself with until it's gone. That was sport is for me. Sport competing violence like that, that roar and that rage is not so much because that's therapy. It's because I finally found a way to show you the animal that I am. And that when I don't fucking rip you apart, it's because that is what life tells me to do. But nothing can stop me in the ring and nothing can stop me from destroying that implement. So you can see, fuck, there is a guy who has lived life and that is how he's expressing himself. And that is when we get emotional over lifts and competing because that may not be there forever. And when you live life like that and you compete like that, you become a very dangerous person. And that's, in a sense, good for that. And that's where hashtag stay dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And if people get this concept where I mean stay dangerous, like being a mean person or being conflicted. No, it's to stay dangerous because you have to live on that edge if this is the type of person you are to, to push, to express, to find parts of your mind that have been you know undiscovered and rough, and you know, I was just said it today. I was talking to the gym in the morning. You know, diamonds are built by pressure. 
you have to push. You have to get into that that zone, into that area. If you are really going to discover the absolute limit of who you are as a person, I'm not asking you to be a straw man. What is a straw man? Beard and tattoos? Okay, so I guess I look like one. But you don't know what goes on in my head. You don't know what fucking took me to get there. You don't know what uh, what I've lost or even to, more importantly, what I've done to just stay in the game. You know, it goes for everybody. Yeah. But yeah, man, like you want to be, you want to stay dangerous so people look at you like that motherfucker is giving everything he can to never stop being himself. That is what life is about. I don't understand any other type of living and I may die alone. That's for sure. But I'll do it my way. Like the song says, like I will sit there and push those limits to express myself or I'm going to fucking self, let's just self combust. I'm just going to implode like a supernova. My writing, the podcasts, you know, training, the tattoos, these are ways of expression. I just found a way to put it into a sport so passionately that it's worth living for. We love you, Dark Continent. Good night. (laughs) Holy shit. All right, I'll drink to that. Cheers. (laughs) Yeah, that was just hot sauce. So, you know, specifically, we were talking about quotes and I didn't include any 1.30, 2 a.m. MDLP. Johnny. Me. <laughs> me. MDLP. Uh, those are coming today. I like, it doesn't feel come. it. Like, I don't know who the text is from, but I love how you introduce yourself every time. I can feel time. it. I hope you're doing good. Listen to this. I have a quote. And then it's, you know, something amazing. But I think it's important that, you know, in a previous episode, you had talked about how important quotes and words are to you. And I think that people who listen, I think we, we attach ourselves to that, you know, it's motivating and it's clarity in some cases. Uh, so we have some things that you've posted. Uh, you're so good at these. My favorite thing is I know you forgot every single one of these. 100%. <laughs> the only one I remember was the dirt one. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did say that <laughs> recently. Say so uh, we asked for listener uh, participation. They gave us a few that thank they you really guys. digged. Yeah, thank you. That's pretty cool. Um, but we're just going to throw some things at you. So I'm going to give you the quote, and then we'll just kind of go back and forth in terms of where it came from, what it means to you. you know, we'll just do what we do. Let's do it. <clears throat> so we're talking about, I guess, you know, maybe this ties into nationals a little bit. Maybe this is where it comes from. I don't really know the... The background to this, but some things you were not meant to recover from. <laughs> um, so this comes in from losing my best friend in 2017 and how that was just a part of my life that I'm not meant to recover from, you know, and I don't want to. And we talk about losing someone someone or something often in our lives and you know not letting go and you know out of all the people that lost them and just me and my buddy Rudy who really kind of maintained that scar open it's like we flick it open constantly with either physical reminders like my dog tag or getting fucking wasted and seeing the sun come up and talking about things and I guess it's this constant fear of just losing that memory because we relate pain with presence and to let go of that pain is to let go of something and at least if you're angry or sad or hurting or happy or something 
and I don't mean happy, but I feel like happiness is me so fleeting. But sometimes, like a like a pinch, can really remind you, mm. like a hot stove, you know. And that how that has transcended into so many aspects of my life. I can tell you that I can, like I've said before, I can tell you more about my losses and my shortcomings as a man, as a human, as a as a son, as a brother, as a boyfriend, as a, a leader, as a coach. I can tell you more of the errors that I've made in my life and how those have been so impactful. And I just cannot forget them. I can't. I, I toss and I turn. I have these like anxiety hits in my stomach of what a piece of shit. Like, why would I do that? And I don't let it go because... That's the reason why I don't do certain things. May I may not throw a fist or may I not get in the fucking car when you're drunk or not go out or hold back words because I can't let go. And I was not meant to recover because I was meant to push that stone up the rest of my life, like Sisyphus. Mm -hmm. And that is some of the most powerful motivators in my life. It's just don't let go. Like, don't let go of that. Some things you're just not meant to grow from, and time doesn't heal all wounds. And you can pour all the dirt it wants on it, but I'm okay with that. I've used that as a sense of empowerment and a sense of 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 discipline and courage and fear. <laughs> it's a good amount of fear. Mm-hmm. And when you translate that into sport, which is what we typically do, like when I hurt my back, you know, I have not recovered from that mentally in some ways, and it's made me probably the best athlete, not so much the strongest, but the best athlete and the best coach that I could be from that movement. And I haven't really, quote unquote, recovered from that. You know, you don't forget that, and I relate that to life. Mm-hmm. So there's just some things you don't recover from, and that's good. I, uh, I had a conversation a long time ago with a friend who lost somebody very close. Mm. I am typically a person that people reach out to when it comes to someone passing because most people know that I've lost a lot of people in my life. Mm. Uh, I essentially have no family left. This is why I am so, (laughs) when I'm your friend, we're friends. You have me until you don't. Right. It's just a fact. But I agree with this. And I agree with this so much because the question was, what do I do now that they're gone? And in my head, I was like, huh. well, you never heal from it. You know, you never do. It's, 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 you learn how to deal with it better, but you never heal from it. Good. You're not supposed to recover from that. And that's what keeps them fresh. And that's what keeps them in your heart. Mm. And that's what keeps the things that you love so close, like strongman, <laughs> you know, it, it, that not feeling fully recovered from the memory of being hurt kept you as pristine an athlete as you could be. And now you've created a platform where people can understand that <clears throat> that injury, when you say, hey, I'm pulling 500 today, is this pristine? <laughs> people can look at that shit and go, yeah. yeah, earned. Right. And it it it, cr- it creates this ripple effect to people watching. And <sighs> it's not just in sport, but it's in life because loss is so permanent. And uh, you know, I'll give you a good example when my stepfather passed away. Mm. And my brothers, my stepbrothers were acting out. They're young teenagers. 
they're fucking just you know doing their thing, man. You know they they don't they never experienced something like this. Their father's gone forever, and everybody in the family's coming to me like, you need to check these dudes. And I'm like, listen, they don't understand the permanency of this. They don't understand that no matter what you do, you're never okay with that person being gone or that moment or that that movement being gone forever. Right? Because you can never lift the the way you did. Right. It's fucking gone. Yeah, that that aspect is gone, right? Yeah. So um, definitely, I think that's a quote that... uh, Yeah, I don't... uh, I think it was... uh, It was a lot... It was one of those things that are short, uh, but bitterly sweet and very, very true. Just like when we say everything ends. I mean, I think that's one of the shortest, most powerful. Why does people have told me, oh, that's so negative. I'm like, it's negative because you're not strong enough to see it the right way. Mm -hmm. If you see adversity as a challenge and a way to overcome, there is no saying that cannot be used as a as a motivator, as as a way to move forward. So, yeah, I'm really okay with telling you that there are just some things you weren't meant to recover from. Finding love in that moment because you know it will end. Absolutely. Everything ends. <laughs> Come on, man. But, yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think it's a it's been a great tool for me. What you've done with speaking on that memory of Bake is so huge to me because I tell people a lot of times I lost my mother at 14. And when people ask me about that, I go, the biggest mistake I ever did was not picking that scab. Oh, yeah, no. And now I have very few. I went from maybe 100 memories to two mm-hmm. because everyone told me that it was strong to not speak on it and strong to avoid it, and I didn't know better. I was a kid. And that's, that's you know, and it, I know I have one of the other ones here, and it's the same concept of communicating injuries. And well, people let's get a- to it. Yeah, people had asked me about that. I forgot what it how Can it I read? Yeah, I re- can you read that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So communicating your injuries and the necessity of communication. That is uh, that is invaluable to as a coach, mm. right? So when you have someone in your life that's trying to look out for you, period, <laughs> you need to communicate your injuries. There's a different, Wes used to always, you know, pain, hurt, and injury. Or hurt, pain, and injury, I think it was called. No, pain, hurt, and injury. Yeah, pain, hurt, injury. When you're injured, something stops. You know, if you injure your arm, you can't use it. If you hurt your arm, you can still kind of use it. And if you have pain, you know, you'll you'll be okay. But an injury is something that has a limiting factor. Learning to communicate, to express yourself about what's going on is only going to empower those around you who are on your side. Let's speak this from a training perspective. You injure your knee. You don't say anything. Because, you know, that's pussy shit. It's not a big deal. Okay, well, your coach doesn't know and starts to program singles, heavy singles. Well, now you blow your fucking knee apart. Now you're out for a year. And your coach is like, well, what happened? Oh, man, my hurt. I hurt my knee. I'm like, why didn't you fucking tell me? Yeah. And correlate that to real life scenarios. When you're injured, and I don't mean hurt or upset, when something's wrong, or you don't want to get out of bed, or you don't want to move, or you don't want to eat, or you're, you know, something's. <laughs> you have to communicate to those around you who are trying to take care of you. Hey, man, I'm not in a good place. Like something's up. Yeah. That takes courage. It takes courage to talk to your coach and be like, because you know what's going to happen. They're going to, you're going to take a step back. 
You're going to get a little bit babied and you're going to do things you don't want to do. Like not train hard and not do stupid shit and do rehab and think about what you've done and kind of like think about what you've done and sit with it. And that's, that takes, it's an issue. That's a thing. And too long have we in the strength community have been told like, Oh, you know, talking about injuries, that's pussy shit. Suck it up. Yeah. To an extent, you know, that's what I mean. There's a difference between hurt and pain. We can take those to an extent. Mm-hmm. You can't be a champion without pain, but injuries is a big deal. That, that limb, that part of your soul stopped working. Your motivation, your courage, your personality, your happiness, that's done. It's cut off. That's an injury. You know, you're not kind of happy. You're not happy sometimes. You're not happy at all. You know, you're not, your leg is not hurting. Like, your leg is fucking done. You can't move. But a lot of people do that. Oh, I'll just throw knee wraps on. I'm like, <laughs> you know, oh, you know, knee wraps? Yo, like a Xanax? Yeah, I get it. Like a bottle of alcohol? I get it. Mm. You fucking slam it and get after it. You know, so it's so good. Speaking of which. Mm. And, and that's what I mean about that communicating injuries. Like. Again, all of these come from the correlation between training and strength training and being an athlete and the cohesiveness of living life, of living life in this path on in the way, you know. And a lot of the times I write them from a psychology perspective because that's just the way my brain works. And communicating your injuries with those around you who are trying to help you will be one of your strongest assets ever in your fucking life ever. And it takes the most effort because it proves and opens up vulnerability. It proves to everyone around you that you can get hurt, that you're not infallible, that you are human, that you're not a God, that all those muscles in the world will come to an end. That's hard. And people need to train that and people need to talk about that. And people need to see that that transcends training. And that was the whole concept between, you know, the two points together and how some things just you weren't meant to heal from. Because when you get injured, you'll never forget that. You should never forget that conversation. You know, you should use it as in a positive light. You know, yeah, there's some injuries that are going to change you forever and and a very limiting factor. But you have to use that in some way that's going to make you that much fucking better. It's just a fact of life. I think that people have made the concept of truth popular but the acceptance acceptance of truth not popular oh for sure like they definitely want they, it, it's cool to say like hey just be honest man like it's you know honesty is the best policy until it's you and you're fucked yeah i don't <laughs> that's a tough that's a tough subject it is yeah. but we we you know it's it's look at our election right yeah. like hey man whatever whoever Right. right. Whoever, not to get into politics, but just based off that, give us truth. Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> just say the, just say what happened. That's it. You it's know? and it. I think that being able to um, understand and accept truth is also a skill. Yeah, absolutely. That takes time to develop because there's a long time that I didn't want to hear the truth about myself, and it wasn't until I started to understand the concept of loss. And the concept of truth and acceptance of what's really going on in my life and who I've become or who I was was lost to me. And then as I started working on like, well, I really want to know. Right. You know, I'm willing to eat shit for a while 
just to figure out like right. okay is this me and it's i me. yeah i'm not afraid to accept that like some things i did was some real scumbag shit well that's the <laughs> honestly only life but yeah that is the only life but it's 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 definitely the truth right and that's built me up so <clears throat> i love this one because i love the fact that your truth is you're an athlete right so you you posted this one. I'd rather be an athlete on my feet than an Instagram on my knees or, or Instagram from my knees. No, Instagram on my knees. So that yeah. comes from an Emiliano Zapata quote, which I think people eventually turned it into an FDR quote, which is not. Emiliano Zapata was a Mexican revolutionary, fought for like Mexican independence, controversial at best. And original saying was, "I'd rather live on my feet than die on my live on my feet than die on my knees." Yeah, and. This is a, it came from a moment where I felt like too many people were focused on, and this is a very basic kind of social observation. Sure. Of saying too many people are fascinated with going on Instagram and, you know, talking to their quote unquote fans and friends and pleasing these people who aren't fucking real. Not, not to say that there's not Instagram friends that I'm really close with that I've never met before who are very supportive. But that I'm not changing myself to impress them. Yeah. It's that I'm being myself for myself. And that there's so, it's a very big observation, especially in the strength community. I'm going on Instagram and, you know, trying to prove things to the social media and to your buddies and to skew your mentality and the way you are just to make people happy rather than just fucking being yourself. Hmm. And, you know, that concept of, yeah, living on your feet or dying on your knees is to have a self identity. And that comes from, and I talk about it all the time, <laughs> how uncomfortable I am when people tell me that I'm inspiration, that I'm motivation. I'm like, <laughs> uh, first of all, um, I say constantly in my videos, like I'm not a moral compass. Yeah. I want you to know that I have a lot of errors in my life and I fuck up a lot and I'm just trying my best I, on that aspect. Fine. But you know, I'm not trying to go on Instagram and be somebody that I'm not to impress people that don't know me. And I mean that in a philosophical way. And I mean that in a physical way. I don't go and put, I don't think my 500 pound deadlifts <laughs> are that impressive number wise. Sure. I put them because I'm, I'm impressed with the work and the effort and the technique that has taken me to get there. That's what I'm I'm happy with. That's who I'm trying to express. If not, then I would never, if I was trying to, you know, live on Instagram world, I would just never post it because 500 pound deadlift nowadays is irrelevant. Yeah. So, yeah, I posted that where I'm like, you know, I'm just going to live on my feet, like really make, express who I am, both with folly and errors and and mistakes and shortcomings, rather than ever just suddenly crumble to my knees and be like, you know what I can do? Is just get really ripped and never talk about how I'm hurting and never talk about how life is stressful and how I suck at something or how hard it took me to get into the gym today and how long I've been working or how I tore my hamstring just to impress people. Like, I hate that feeling. When I, I say it all the time, when I was coming up in sport, nobody was ever hurt. People would just disappear for two, three months and then they'd be back. I'm like, well, how'd you get better? <laughs> what the fuck happened to you? And... You know, now it's, again, like I said before, now it's, like, super popular to be, like, fucked up. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know, I, okay, fine. 
but I will never not be myself. Yeah. And that has cost me as much as it has benefited me. Like it, but I will never express myself on Instagram, on podcast, or as a friend or as a man in a way that I'm not. And I think a lot of people, they'll use sport and strongman and powerlift as a way to express themselves as someone who's they're not, who they are not. Oh, man, you know, just trying my best, just trying to be a better human, but you're like a piece of shit. I would say I'm a piece of shit trying to be really good at something. <laughs> but like I'm pretty I'm, strong. Yeah, I'm strong. But I'm trying, you know. Yeah. Or, hey, you know, be you, be love, ha- you know, love yourself, but you're, you're not happy with who you are. Mm. You're constantly fucking fucking yourself up or changing your fate. Like, hey, you love your body. I'm like, but you're not even fucking real. You know, I'm, what are you getting at? Just be like, hey, you know what? I have a lot of trouble with self-image. I'm just trying my best to love myself. You know, if it takes fucking this and that and do to do it, okay. Yeah. I'd rather listen to that person than somebody who says something that they're not. Fuck out of here, dude. Everyone's smart enough to see that. Right. And that's what I mean. Like, you know, the, I'm not going to go on my knees for Instagram. And that's why when I talk on Instagram and I get these messages, I'm like, hey, just thank you. Um, but... You know, I'm not a moral compass. Like, I hope yeah. you're not modeling your life after yeah, me, yeah, guy, because yeah. you're going to either go to jail or die alone. Like, If you sure. sit in this podcast, yeah. you might not walk out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's kind of where that came from. And I was just all sparked up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, no, like, no, like, this is not OK. You know, I'm like, uh, there's too much of this. I hard called somebody out the other day. No way. Not kind of like on accident, but in a way. So. I happened to meet this guy in passing at the gym uh-huh. and he's talking about powerlifting and he's like, Oh, I fucking hate powerlifting now. It's so glamorous and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, Hey man, I know a lot of badass powerlifters. And I'm like, maybe it's the people you follow. Oof. Oof. And I'm like, and maybe you're just not following the right people, dog. Oof. Maybe because I don't know follow some, anybody guy. Yeah. I'm like, I know some people that are really fucking in the trenches, man. And they inspire me. And yeah. maybe you are just following people that are pretty. And maybe you need to fucking change that. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't even fuck with powerlifting like that anymore oh. anyways. And I'm like, okay. Fucking cool guy. Fucking hipster. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Get off your knees, guy. <laughs> <laughs> fucking piece of shit. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, unintentional call out, but here we are. This is, you know, kind of what we do. I can't believe we're killing this bottle this fast. Nah. It's not us. Uh, US one on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not taking the highway. It's gonna take me two hours to get home. <laughs> We're not driving. No, nah. I'm taking an Uber. I'm, I'm serious. Taking a thousand dollar Uber. <laughs> Thank you for the ride. All right, so, um, damn it, got so many good ones. I know. One Make sure that seven and eight are the end. All right. Well, because we can't. It's too powerful. No pressure. No pressure. All right. So. <laughs> Live with what you've done In order to live So I think this is a very good reflection On talking about moral compass So Again So these are These tend to be So again So it's live with what you've done In order to live And I forgot when I actually wrote this But it came from a moment of obviously Deep deep introspection I think a lot of us as people and as athletes will tend to try obviously to run away from those things that keep us uh, uh that keep us awake at night almost like strength 
night terrors, the mistakes, the bad reps, the miss, you know, the miscues, as well as the mistakes and the yelling and the out of character moments that we kind of take upon in life. And we, we run away from these things. It's inherent. It's called, it's like pain guarding. You know, you fuck yourself up. Your, your body will protect itself from itself. And that doesn't breed character. And I'm a person that has been consistently conflicted because I run towards that as hard as I can when I can because no one else will. No one else is going to sit there and trying to figure out what it is I did because some of those things only I know and how I'm going to live with this. How am I going to go live with this regret? And this because I don't, I have no regrets. I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> Um, or this error, right. And so let's look at this from a, as we always do, as a strength athlete. There's going to be some bad comps. There's going to be some bad days. There's going to be some moments where you embarrass yourself and you let people down and you break people's hearts. And the only way for you to continue to live your life is to live with the fact that that's not going anywhere. And that really, you know, it it bundles down and they're very similar traits to, you know, like what we talked about earlier, about some things you're not meant to recover from. And how to sit there with that concept that, yeah, you know what? You did lose that championship. You did lose the gold medal. You did leave and let your coach down. You let your family down. You let your loved ones down who are involved with you, who gave you all the space you needed and all the money you needed and all the fucking things you wanted and you fucking bombed out and you fucked yourself up and you lost and you missed you have to understand that those moments and those little like nuances are the only things that are going to make you push forward you have to live with that you can't let that go that is part of the burden that is part of the more weight those are the plates and the dirt and the rock that you're adding to your sled you can't let that go as much as you want to. You just physically can't. You have to learn to live with that. I've noticed that as every year I get older, there's just more weight on my sled. And I have to accept it. And I have to get stronger. And as an athlete, you can't let that go. Because one day you're going to talk to somebody who's coming up. Are you a lifter, a loved one, a child? And you're going to have to explain to them why you never let those things go. Because you're not supposed to breed a coward. You're supposed to breed warriors. How can you talk to somebody you want them to be the strongest person in the world and be like, let it go. Don't worry about it. You know what I say? Don't ever forget this. Don't you ever forget what it feels like to lose. Don't you fucking forget it. That's like what I say. I might say in the middle of the moment, hey, let it go. Next event, let's go. But when the day's wrapped up, Don't you ever forget what it feels like to come in second place. Mm -hmm. Don't you ever forget what it feels like to lose a fight. Don't you ever forget what it feels like to miss a left. Don't forget it. A lift. Don't forget it. Because that is going to be the biggest fucking power you can ever feel. That anger, that regret, that that passion you felt. You got to use that to live. And that's the reality of that speech. It's like, it's the same. It's so similar so some things you weren't meant to recover from because 
you know, here's a difference, right? And I'm going to tell you the difference between those two. When it comes to injuries, those things happen to you, typically from external forces. Something outside, a, a punch, or hit, or you got injured. You did everything you could to do right, and you still tore your fucking hamstring. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between that and things you've actually done. You dropped it. You quit. You got scared. You said something you'd regret. You sh- fucked up. You put that extra fucking bottle to the face. You drove home. You did that. You fucking did that. Live with it, motherfucker. That's what I'm talking about. There's a difference. Both of those, external and internal reasons. If there's another, any other way of growing stronger, let me know, dog. Email me, thebattleaxgym at gmail.com. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not. Things that you've done and things that have happened to you that have tried to bury you, that's what you have to hold on to. That is, <laughs> I can't express it enough. And that's exactly what that means. Live with what you've done and some things you were never meant to recover from. External, exter- internal. And when you're moving forward, that's it. I know you know what it feels like to have missed that sandbag, to have missed that deadlift because for a split second, you let it go. And you have to go to sleep with that cowardice. You have to. You can't let that go. No one's going to rub that away from you. No one's going to talk you out of what it feels like to quit. We've all quit. I've never met a person in my life that hasn't quit on something or someone. And that's what that line means to me. It's to sit and swim in that concept. All right. Fuck. Well, fuck me, bro. Man, I'm coming after it today, man. <laughs> fuck. I felt fucking in it. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, this kind of ties into everything that we've been saying, but management over moderation. And I think that originally this was written as maybe a concept of injury, but I think that it has a lot more to do with us as human beings and athletes and understanding ourselves and challenges so let's let's talk a little bit about that. So you know what I've, you know what everyone says? Everything in moderation. And you know what I hate the most for a person like me who never moderates? <laughs> As when people tell me that everything in moderation. Oh God, thank you. <laughs> and okay. I don't know what kind of greatness was ever built on moderation. I don't know what what deepest love has ever been built on moderation? I can't have ever expressed a miracle or a championship or a world record that was built and developed by a person who believed in moderation. I've never have set foot into presence of a champion. I never felt like, man, that guy moderates. <laughs> that guy must take his, his like he must, must take it easy a lot. And so I sat there one day and I said, fuck this term. Everything in moderation. I myself have used it. I'm like, why did I use it though? Because I believe in it or because I've been told that that's the right way. Mm. I do what I do and don't believe in what I just fucking did. (laughs) And I said, is it about moderation or is it about management? To manage 
your excessive or ambitious traits is like honing in a sword. You have to sharpen it and you have to aim it. That weapon is always going to be a weapon. It's dangerous. It is meant for one or two reasons. Does that mean you should never use it? Does that mean you should never have it? Does that mean you should never unsheathe it? Of course not. I can't stand the concept that everything I need to do has to want at one point come to a limit because it's it could be dangerous. Here's an example. <laughs> My passion will be the death of me, for short. But my passion that I've learned to manage has become less of a curse and more of one of the most benevolent, powerful, influential forces in my life. If I would have moderated it, I'd be half the man and half as quote-unquote wealthy than ever. And I tell you the truth. Constantly I was told your passion is too much. It outweighs your discipline. It's too high. Gets you in trouble. Gets you hurt. Gets you, you know. And to some extent, yes. But that, does that necessarily mean I need to moderate it, um, moderate it or manage it? When to be completely into something? When to love and care for something so furiously you're willing to die for something? Are you telling me that's moderate passion? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> How can you love something moderately? How can you be willing to die for something moderately? How can you be willing to give your very life and your essence and your soul and your character for something moderately? How does that ex even does the same sentence? You manage it. Sometimes you're 100% and you're willing to go and sometimes you're not. And you hone it and you craft it because you can destroy what you love. If you're too fucking passionate, you can bury it. You can burn it to cinders with your, your fiery passion, but you can manage it. You can warm it. You can keep it safe. You can protect it. That's management. Like, how do you manage a weapon? Well, you take care of it. You put it out when it's necessary. You don't just shoot at anything. You don't just go crazy. You also just never take it out because moderation keeps that gun and that weapon sheathed at all time. The term moderation it's just, it's complacent to me. I fucking hate it, you know? And like, and I sat there and I was really like, damn, man, if somebody would have told me that when I was 24, hey, Mike, all you need to do is manage your anger. You need to manage your passion. You need to manage your ambition. I said, Mikey, you're too fucking, you're too angry. You're too, you're too sensitive. You're too emotional. You're too passionate. What? what why? Those are my greatest attributes. <laughs> that's what i was born to do i just need to manage them i don't need to moderate them i need to add water i need to put them underneath the dirt i need to hone them i need to sharpen them i need to sit there and craft them that's what management means to me and i see these in athletes like there's some athletes where i see them like their greatest and their greatest attribute is their willingness to is their passion you know, that's them. That's their thing. If I say if I say moderate that, I can see them literally crumbling as I say it. Because now they think that what they, their greatest strength is their biggest weakness. Which you're right. It could be. But I refuse to let that be that person, that somebody that young. 
manage it, dude. Learn how to use it. Like I say with rage. Oh, you can't be angry. You gotta you gotta moderate that. Fuck you. I gotta manage it. Because there's a time and a place when that motherfucker needs to fly. And you'll never learn that if you moderate it. You'll never learn that. Management means leadership. It means guidance. How to aim that fucking rage. How to put it in the scope like a sniper. Not stifle it away. Not put it in a cubicle. Not just sit there and fucking smother it with your weakness and your and your fear. And I refused that. And when I fucking wrote that down, I'm like, oh, this is it. This is what I wish somebody would have told me years ago. Yeah. Manage it. Learn it. Craft it. Hone it. Sharpen it. Aim it. These are all skills of management and understanding it. Of course, there's things to moderation. Of course, there's a time. Of, no one's saying not to moderate anything. Let's be serious. But if you were to ask me a better terminology, to be a, because we're all slaves of semantics, I would rather mod- manage my fucking drinking and my passion and my shit than moderate it. Yeah. Fuck you. Like, that's me, man. I'll manage it. I'm going to manage it. Because that's my choice. It's my power. I'm not, I don't have a glass ceiling effect. That's what moderation feels like to me. It's a glass ceiling. You only go so high before you're just running into yourself. Fuck that. I'm going to go as far as I need to go in that moment. And the only way I'm going to learn that is by trying. So I wrote that one down. I was like, nah, man, that was the coolest one. That was a powerful one to me, I thought, too. I agree. <sighs> man. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I think this is a direct effect of social media where people who follow you on social media tend to think that they know who you are as a person. And I think part of it is good. Part of it is good because if you're honest, then people will know you. I think they will to right. a degree, right. you know, because uh, you're, you're, you're being yourself, like you said. Um, but you, you posted this just because you know my dirt doesn't mean, you know, the seeds that I've planted. Oof. And I think it's very important to know that social media is just one window in a very large house. You're only peeking through one window, dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good that's a good fucking example. And that's just that's how I came up with that because I remember going Okay, so I've lived a life and I love when people think they know or they have some sort of power on you because they think they know something about you. Or even if they do. I'm like you know, everyone has their perspective on what they saw happen or what you've done or the mistakes you've made or the errors you've made. Oh, you were fucking wasted and you said this and, you know, you ran into the car and you fell this and you failed. Okay. Well, you know the dirt. But you don't know what it took for me to get there. You don't know the relationship I have with that person. You don't know the amount of work that I've done to be even to mess up at that level. <laughs> you don't know that. You can't sit there in your <laughs> moderated bullshit vanilla life and think that because you know something about me that most people don't, that that's power. That I'm scared or afraid that you know my weaknesses because I've expressed them to you. And that's a big reason why I write about my shortcomings. 
I express my shortcomings. I'm like, here's my dirt, motherfuckers. Here's all my bullshit. Here's my weaknesses. Here's my errors. Here's my shortcomings as a man, as a leader, as a coach, as an athlete. But in the process of laying that dirt down, I'm dropping seeds of hope. I'm dropping seeds of discipline and courage and, and, and examples for people to be like, not that I want to be an example, but I can show people, man, if I can do it, you can do it. I'm like, you, and I remember because <laughs> I love, and it's, you know, we've all been part of these circles. Of like, oh man, if I, trust me, if I tell, if I say that this motherfucker did this, I got him. I'm like, do you though? Do you? Because I bet you don't. <laughs> yeah. I bet the motherfucker won't lose a wink of sleep. Because you don't know what that person do, did to achieve that yeah. or to get there. And that's the biggest, the biggest part of growth, I think. And here's a way of, of placing it into athleticism. On the way to the top, you're never going to make anyone, everyone happy. It's just a fact. On the way to records and world records and championships and all that, you're never going to make everyone happy. In that process, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make people ma- angry and disappointed. And you're going to fail. And you're going to fail people. And people are going to recognize that. And sometimes you live with that anxiety. Oh, my God, they saw me say that. Or they saw how mad I got. Or they saw me miss that lift. Or I fired a coach. And you live in this fucking shadow and rain cloud of, man, people have this motherfucking concept of me. Well, guess what? Like, they don't know how hard you're working to help others out. They don't know that in the process of you maybe firing that one coach because they treated you poorly, that you were able to save other people with your example. That in the process of failing that lift and fucking up, that you showed others that you were able to come back after that. And that that dirt that's being poured on your name, that people don't know how much effort. Because when you're a leader... And you're an example and you're that kind of figurehead. 80% of your shit, you're the bad guy. It's just that that 20% is magnanimous. It's that that 10%, that 5%, that 1%, it changes lives. I've never met a champion or a leader or somebody who's so important that has a clean fucking slate. Not when they're worth it. What does that mean? That means that in the process of you becoming great, a lot of dirt gets kicked on your fucking name by people who have no idea the amount of toiling and fucking work you've put into the soil. And that means character. That means like journeys and adventures and fucking hardships that you put into that ground that people don't know. So when I see this shit, it's it's hard to judge. Like, oh my God, they jumped on steroids. I'm like, so who the fuck are you? Right. Oh, they, they cheated. I go, did they cheat? Or is that what happened? Oh, they got a lucky call. I'm like, so you're going to shit on their name because it's a judge's fault? You don't know how hard it's for that person to get up there. Right. You don't know what they did to get up there, the injuries and the sacrifices, and they got a lucky call, and now you're going to shit on their name because they got some dirt on it? It's bullshit. You don't get that shit. You don't get the right to. You know, obviously, I'm not fucking ex- you know, exempting people that are pieces of shit. I'm just saying... Everyone, everyone who's worth something in my life, in my opinion, has some dirt. Yeah. That's where shit is planted. That's where shit grows from. So when I see people, I'm like, just because you know my shitty shortcomings and my past, when 
I wasn't the best coach, and I wasn't the best athlete, and I wasn't the strongest, and I wasn't the nicest, and I wasn't the most patient and most understanding. And you're going to bring that up like you got some power over me. I'm like, well, fuck you. Look what I've built now. Say something now. Come to my gym now. Say to my, my lifters now. Say something. <laughs> and a lot of us need to focus on that, that, that other people knowing that about you and knowing where you started from. And this reminds me of, if you guys ever... Uh, the Goodfellas, which is incredible. Yeah, exactly, right? Think about that scene where Joe Pesci gets visited by the guy that got out the joint, tells him to get the shoebox. Look how mad that made Joe Pesci, right? Because this guy couldn't stop bringing up the dirt. Hey, I remember when you were just a punk and you were just a little something. And Joe Pesci's like, dude, you don't know what I've done in the meantime. I'm a fucking made I'm man. I'm a fucking made man. Like, I'm a real deal. Obviously, he reacted the wrong way. Uh, I don't blame him. Is that you, Dad? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and, <I was> like, <laughs> and that's the same example. Yeah. You're going to get to a point one day where you're you know, a champion. People like, oh, I remember when you used to fucking be a pussy. I'm like, just because you know my dirt doesn't mean you know what I've fucking done in the meantime, dog. Right. I built a legacy. I built a business. I've, you know, I've built a world championship, stuff like that. I'm glad that you said that because for a lot of people who are listening who are not, adamant in the strength world and we have quite a few people who listen to us outside of application to athleticism and strength it's very important to remember that it's also operationally tied to how you run your business absolutely and you're fortunate to be able to start a business or run a business or own a business that is something that you're passionate about you will fuck up and you will fail and guess what you're going to lose money and you're going to be broke. And eventually, from all of that, you will be someone people will look up to. You'll build a business. You'll create money for yourself. You'll be able to cut a check to your mom and dad when they have a downside. Yo, buy and my fucking how, house. How fucking good does that feel when you can say, you know what, mom and dad, I got you. There's That's nothing like it. Yeah. There's nothing like it, though. No, none. And, or like when you give your parents something worthwhile from growing up, like when I gave my parents a car, I almost fucking died. Right. Yeah. And there's, when we're kids, like we just understand that like giving back to your parents is the most fulfilling thing that you'll ever feel. Right. Right. But you never know how you're going to do it. (laughs) It's funny because I had this conversation recently. I think that, you know, Giving parents are one of the most like incredible attributes of all time, but they're never the GPS because, and I've learned this the hard way in many ways, and 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 they're a guiding force, and they're always going to search for your happiness, but sometimes your happiness comes with a lot of pain. And only we get that. Because if it was if it was any other way, if it was easy that way, it would just be that way. Like, oh, things are happy. They always agree with what you're doing, and I agree with what they're doing. But I can tell you right now that my parents were not okay with me opening up the battle action. I had a four-year psych degree from Penn State University, and suddenly I was like, nah, I quit social work, and I'm going to open up a gym. Do you think by any means that they were happy with that? They were like, what? They were like, especially my mom. She's like, what are you doing? Yeah. And it, 
that's what it became. And, you know, but I wanted to show them that I'm able to stand on my feet and then one day take care of them. You know, the outcome, you know, just we got to break some fucking eggs here. Um, but yeah, I just had that conversation recently. It's like, they always want what's best for you, but I'm the only one that will know what's best for me. And that's right. typically going to come with some fucking hurt sure. because they're not going to be okay with things that hurt me no matter what, yeah. even a tattoo. How many parents are cool with tattoos? <laughs> no, that hurts. You know? But it's, it's me. It's okay. I'm okay. I got this. Yeah. You know, or bad decisions. You know, what's funny is I think a lot about uh, the dude from The Hangover, the Asian dude, who's like literally a doctor. Yeah. And he's like, no, nah, I think I want to do cam- comedy. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> what? Right. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I'll and I just talked this six figure job to maybe make some money in comedy. Right. It's just family. It's just a different aspect, man. You know, not only but family, but family that is earned. I just talked about that this morning. Family too. that is earned? Yeah. So we had a, ugh. We had a very powerful gym meeting. He tried to let one slide on us, boys and girls. He did. I didn't want to talk about it. (laughs) Um, We had a very powerful gym meeting this morning. Um, We typically have a gym meeting Saturdays Saturdays at 7.30, and we discuss things that are going to happen, things that were going forward, um, you know, events. And I'll tell you, um, it was a powerful one this morning. And I tell you that the biggest aspect of things like this is that you can – there's families that you're born into, obviously, blood, and then there's families that you earn. And I said the most powerful thing you can do is to stand next to somebody that you're willing to die for because you want to, not because you need to. And that that choice is powerful. And that that choice makes people uh, worthwhile. And I said that there's, there's a difference, especially to when we talk about the Battle Axe family, that you know, I don't have any kind of forced value next to like I don't necessarily need them in a sense. Like, oh, you know, that's my blood brother. But that's my brother and that's my sister because I choose them to be. Because, you know, I know that I'm willing to give up everything to make sure that they succeed. And that terminology, that feeling describes family to me. And I think that's powerful. And when you surround yourself with like minds like that. You find courage. You find you find legacy. You find depth, and that's not easy to find. That's crafted. That's created. That's that's it's a culmination of effort and forging and hammering away at efforts and mistakes and bloodshed and sacrifice and fear and lack of character and these down moments. And you're just in being molded into some sort of like weapon that's coming together. And that's what I meant when I talked to these people this morning. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, when you have blood family and you gain somebody outside of that blood that is willing to give up everything for you, you can't describe that feeling. You can only you can only nurture it. Mm-hmm. And when you feel it and you know it, you never give up. You just don't give up on that. You found the diamond in the rough. You found purpose. And you can't you can't just simply undo that. And that's when I when I tell people it's like, you know, when I say we're a culture, when I say we're a community, when I say we're a family, that those aren't empty words for me. Those aren't empty efforts. That the person next to me, I know that <laughs> you know, I know we will go into battle because a battle is life. 
loss, death, financial circumstances, the loss of a loved one, you know, your car fucks up, you're in an accident, you can't, you know, your grandmother can't mow the lawn, so I'll go there for you at 2 in the afternoon on a fucking Tuesday. That was a family that is forged and earned, and that is the most beautiful fucking thing worth living for I can ever describe. So when we talk about family and we talk about effort, don't get me wrong, I love my family to death. But man, there's something to be said about somebody who's standing next to you because they want to. Mm. And that's that's powerful to me. Something I live every day. Mm, someone who's lost so much family, it's like the people that I support, they can tell you without a doubt. <laughs> that yeah. When it comes to me, I prove it every time. You have to, right? And it's it's something that's like I don't have to do the measures that I do to let somebody know, right. but I do them anyways. Because it's a good example of our relationship. You know, I do things that I feel are right because I'm like, this is my brother. Like, even if I'm not standing next to him, he knows I'm there. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, just like nationals, just like me saying like, hey, man, I'm watching you. You know? Yeah. To see, that's what I'm talking about, man. Like. That's what I'm talking. So you're speaking on nationals and people are sending you, hey, good luck. Hey, I hope, you know, the text that I got from you and everybody else, like, I've never gotten that as many as I did this year in my entire life. And you have 30, 36 years of existence and, you know, one couple, a couple of text messages of, you know, wanting to, hey, good luck, do well, we believe in you. <laughs> I mean, all that. That's all it takes from somebody not going over the edge, let alone somebody wanting to do their best. Mm -hmm. And that's earned, you know, and that's that's 100%, you know. Oh, somebody said pineapple on pizza adds 5 10% on Yeah, uh, Rick, but some of us don't do leg press, and we don't use uh, bench press machines, so. Oh, somebody wants to get banned. Yeah, I don't know what wow. that. Wow. I remember my first, uh, what is it? Bench, peck, press, <laughs> a peck, deck, PR? <laughs> peck, deck, PR. Um, anyways, let the adults talk, buddy. Well, but I do. thank you so much for I'll your. I'll do three plates on each side on yeah, the machine. Yeah, thank you so much for your, your <laughs> you really brought a whole different perspective to the fucking Battle Axe podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't help myself. That was just too easy. Uh, as they vomited <laughs> simultaneously. Yeah, I, remember uh, my, I remember my first 350 bench when I was 27. <laughs> so, God. Oh, these are powerful, the next ones I know. I'm not know. really emotionally ready. All no. right. <clears throat> don't cry. Don't All right, cry, don't, don't do it. Don't cry. cry. Nobody see me cry. Nobody see me cry. Sometimes. The reasons why are no longer with us, and that is the biggest why of all time. So, ugh. so sometimes the reasons why are no longer no longer with us, and that's the biggest reasons why. Um. So, <laughs> in life, I don't think anything is ever fair because nature is not fair. It's an experience. And you can fight and you can, you know, you can stay in line and you can push yourself in many ways, but they're gonna, there are things that are going to happen to you that are just atrocious. And these reasons that you used to hold so dear, 
family, loyalty, love, passion, and many times people, your parents, your best friends, your brother, your sisters, your cousins, these reasons why are going to be stripped away and they're going to be torn apart from your life. Sometimes fairly, and I mean fair in the sense that you can watch them go, you can be with them until their last breath, and sometimes abruptly. And it's going to come viscerally, like some sort of terrible nightmare and some sort of thunderstorm that keeps you awake at night and you wonder why the house shudders and your soul shakes upon this fucking effort that is just ripping you apart and you don't understand why things are happening and why things are gone. But they're gone, and they're gone forever. I don't live with the concept that if I meet somebody I lost, I'll ever meet them again. And if I do, they'll never be the same. That things will be different. If, if we ever meet again. Those are the reasons why are drifting away like fireflies in the wind. That they dance upon the grass and you just see them and you blink your eyes for one second and you never see the same firefly again and you know it. You know that what you're looking at is remnants and memories and different shades and shadows upon this moonlight and you just fucking hate it that you missed your chance to say something for the last time. That you miss touching them or hugging them or meeting up with them because you know in your heart that they're gone forever. That their smell and their taste and the words and the feelings and that title is gone. It's just shifted. You're alone now. Your concept of why is being completely ripped away. And now what? Like what, what do you do with that information? What do you do with that feeling? What do you ever understand from something that has just been completely crushed from you? And that is the exact reason why you can't stop. Because that reason that was your why is gone. And they're not there anymore. And that's exactly why you can't quit. Because believe it or not, and as much as so many people want to hate to admit it, you're somebody else's why. You're somebody else's reason. You're somebody else's firefly. You're somebody else's person. You're somebody else's complete 100% perspective to keep going. That you know what it feels like to lose that why. You know what it feels like. You know that heart-wrenching, gut-tearing feeling in your soul that makes you not eat. It makes you lose weight. It makes you not sleep. It feels like your stomach is being eaten alive by some sort of parasite that you wish would just fucking go up in flames. You know exactly what it feels like to be let down and to be abandoned. And you can't do fuck about it. And that's exactly why you can't quit. Because you know that somebody else in this world is going to have to deal with that when you go. So you, give, you can't give up. You show up. You never quit. You never stop. You try as hard as you fucking can. You put on a fucking warrior's face. You put your fucking chin up. You smile when you need to smile. You shake somebody's fucking hand because you're not a fucking coward. Because you can't give up. Because you know what it feels like to lose your why. And that's all the fucking why you need. That's passion. That's courage. That's character. That's legacy. That's fatherhood. That's brotherhood. That's sisterhood. That's family. That's leadership. That's love. 
So sometimes people ask me, like, oh, man, what's your why? You know what my fucking why is? That I lost them before. That I've lost that reason. That I've been in points and positions in my life where my why is gone. It's stripped away. It's not a, sometimes it's not even a person. It's a part of myself that never grows back. It's a, it's, a, it's a piece of me that I know has died forever. I know it. I feel it. It's gone. It's ashed. It's broken off like some fucking twig in the wind. It's just ashes and crumbles. And I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like internally. And I know what that looks like externally to people that care about me. They're like, there's something wrong with Michael that is never coming back ever again. There's something that is missing from him that it will never come back again. That is broken and ruined. And it's, it's, it's like it's a shattered and there's something wrong with his eyes. And he doesn't smile the way he used to. And he doesn't move the way he used to. And it's fucking broken. And I know what that feels like. Because that person, that, that reason, that, that feeling is fucking gone. So when people tell me, like, what's your why? Because oh, my why is not losing a why for somebody else. It's, it's not being a fucking pussy and, and giving up and giving in. It's, it's fighting. It's pushing forward. It's being passionate. It's, it's putting on the bigger face as hard as it is because you know what it feels like to lose that bit. And if you were to ask me <laughs> about that, and about that feeling, about that, that loss. That's what that fucking means to me. You know, as much as we hate it and as much as we don't want to be a part of that concept. We are somebody's why. And we can't give up because we've lost it. Yeah. And so when people mention to me like, you know. What is it with this saying? You know, sometimes the reason why it being lost is your only reason why. It was just, that pain is, is real. And it doesn't have to be someone. It can be something. Think about when you lose hope. <laughs> when you lose your courage. When you lose your identity. It doesn't mean it's gone forever. I've seen things come back. But for a moment in time, that is lost. When you lose love, when you lose perspective, when you lose your ability to keep going forward, you lose your momentum. You don't want to lose. You don't want that to be gone for somebody else. You know what just happened to you. You know, dig in. Tuck your feet into the trenches. Dig down. Dig down. <laughs> Dig down. It's not a climb up. It's a dig down. So, you know, I I, I know that I get like, <laughs> I know I get overly passionate about things, but I'm not gonna moderate it. I'm just, I'll manage it. And right now, it's just flying full fucking force because that's what I feel in my bones. I don't. <laughs> I know what it feels like to be abandoned. I say it all the time. I I know what it feels like. We all do in some sort of way. We all know what it feels like to be let go. And that shit hurts so bad when it's somebody you love. <laughs> Why the fuck am I going to do that to somebody else on purpose? So when you lose that why, that leader, that, that reason, that, <laughs> that, that person to take care of, why the fuck would you let that happen again? Because if you give up, 
you're just going to let the other person down and so on and so forth and it's this trickle effect and I, ju- I just I mean I mean I try not to be a part of that and I'm not saying I'm not going to mis- make mistakes and trust me man I've been across the crossroads I've been on that crossroads where I'm like I'm about to just let it all fucking go and we're all just fuck everybody and all that stuff but the, the reason that brought me back is that I knew what it was to be let go and I'm not going to be that fucking person so fuck that fuck that yeah so thank you for everyone who tuned in live yeah thank you guys appreciate yeah. you guys for being here Much pineapple support. is never an option never it's a you get the fuck out of here you with that fucking terrorist <laughs> you goddamn death to america right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll not vote for, pi- for pineapple <laughs> ever ever um and let's get to the final round Oof, this is the last one huh <clears throat> the warrior that wants it all dies a thousand times but lives one life to the fullest. Hmm. Let us hear it. So, fuck. Okay, so <laughs> I ended up writing this in a concept. First of all, the warrior mentality is just amazing to me. Obviously, I've been infatuated with warrior mentality my entire life. I think as a child, trying to, you know, emulate, you know, famous people in history, Napoleon, Simon Bolivar, Vikings and Spartans and samurai, we get this concept of never giving up, of, of always pushing forward, of going through war and battle and blood and mud and murk. And I've always been fascinated by that. But what it feels like, the history, you know, Miyamoto Musashi, the rules and the Book of Five Rings and what the perspective of real warriors is. The way, you know, never stray from the way, as we say. And I thought, what is it that defines a warrior? What is it that makes us understand what warriors are? In my opinion, obviously, warriors are not gender-based and not necessarily from any country or any time of history. Warriors are throughout our entire lifetime, from the beginning of human beings to now. Different perspectives from swords to missiles to guns to running across a fucking grassy knoll in the middle of North Carolina with a rifle like a fool and a bayonet because that type of fighting was violent from World War I trenches and bloody bath and being bombarded for 24-7 in fields in the middle of France you can't even recognize anymore they look like the face of the moon I thought about it I thought what is it that defines what is it that what is that what is part of the definition of a warrior and I thought about the shortcomings and the errors of a warrior that If there's anything a warrior can do, it's overcome something from, you know, actual historical events of bravery and courage under fire with swords and gunfire and arrows and catapults and machine guns to sci-fi movies of dragons and one versus ten, you know, flying bats and magic spells. And we have this perspective on what it feels like to overcome these issues, these obstacles, these insurmountable odds. And we think, do they always make it? 
do they always do they always win and i'm going to say that in their hearts and in their efforts that these warriors die a thousand times they have failed they have let friends die they have missed the killing shot they have over over overthrown the spear to kill the dragon they have let it go they have given up they have failed the journey they have given up on the trenches they fell into the muck the sand pit they betrayed a friend they got too drunk they missed the effort that a part of them dies every time they let something down that they they quit or they they're too scared and I've always judged a warrior by their ability to never give up, right? Because quitting and giving up are two different things, I think. I always thought that quitting can be temporary and giving up is just completely going home. And a part of them dies every time, doesn't it? When they betray somebody, they break somebody's heart, they don't take the quest. They're too busy, they're too injured. They're beat up, this is it, they can't fight this fight anymore. And I believe that that's part of dying a thousand times, isn't it? That missed effort, that torn collis, that injured knee. You didn't listen to your coach. You lied to your family. They're mad at you. Your bills are stacking up because you're just focused on work and training. You don't hang out with your friends anymore. They don't understand you. You're alone. You're isolated. You feel like you're dying. You're drowning. No one gets you. You're tired of it. Your body's tired. Everyone says you should quit. And you think that that falls on empty, ear, on empty ears, but it doesn't. It kills a part of you. The face people give you when they think that you should quit, that you're too old, that you're too tired, that you're too injured, that you're too dumb, that you have a career ahead of you. Why are you doing this? Why should you stop? It does kill you, doesn't it? Doesn't that hurt you a little bit enough that a part of you dies forever? Don't you feel it in your bones? It's something that doesn't recover from, right? It's something that you, you can't get rid of. And it's there. And then the years pass, don't they? Over and over and over and days and days and hours and hours. Family events pass. Your job, things in your job pass. New Year's Eve, birthdays. People's birth, like people, your, you know, birthdays of your cousins and family and your children. But your mind is somewhere else, isn't it? It's on battle. You can't erase that part of you, but it's purpose. Your ability to push forward has also bred ambition and character and perseverance and truth and honor and loyalty, courage and bravery and spearheaded purpose because you're bigger than your fears. You're bigger and the small fears of normal man, right? Because nine to fives don't scare you. The ability to not live your dream scares you. The ability to die an average human being freaks you the fuck out. The ability or the, the, the idea that you will not be remembered is the scariest thing in your life. That's a warrior's path. Because you live fully to push yourself to the limit that inspires others, whether you like it or not. 
that you're somebody's beacon, you're somebody's lighthouse, you're somebody's mountaintop. You are the person people are watching because you never give up, do you? You just don't. You just don't know how, do you? Even if you're going to end up somewhere on some fucking island dying by yourself, memorizing your previous adventures and journeys, writing it down in some book that somebody may never read in their entire life, you know the life you lived. And that is fucking the best thing you could have done for the world because that is your purpose. Because you've died a thousand times to live one life to the fullest because you know that one life will breed millions of hope and lighthouses and beacons and fireflies and memories and virtues. That's what the warrior path, that is what that means. That in the process of being the best you can be, you have died a thousand times and people see it. People feel it in their bones. They feel it in their spirit. They see your shortcomings, don't you? They see their er- your errors and that sometimes you have to lie and steal and you have to you have to betray others and hurt people and let them down and quit on them and push them away and isolate yourself and break hearts and break spirits because you know that the bigger journey sometimes can only be walked by one person. That's hard. That is relentless. It's like watching a tide crush a mountain over the years. You just know that over the time that the mountain is going to be nothing but ash and pebbles and sand. And none of it ever quits, nor the water, nor the mountain. And that is everything we've ever wanted to be. That's what that saying means. That's what that, that virtue, that thousand deaths, I'll take a thousand deaths any fucking day of the week if I can just live my one life my way by my rules and my vision. I wish I could apologize. I mean, I really wish. I really wish I can say I'm sorry for being this way, but uh, I'm not. Because as many times as I said I'm sorry, I've also said you're welcome. So fuck that. I feel it. I feel it in my fucking bones. And as we push forward and as we continue and as we look at what we just said and those concepts that they always traverse, they always go deeper, don't they? You know, and when you get ready for competitions and you set your path and you set your eyes on something that seems infallible, that seems unreachable, it seems impossible, that in the process of doing this, little bits of you die forever, don't they? You just can't get them back. And that's okay. That was your choice, wasn't it? And that's the most powerful thing you can ever do is to die by your own rules. This is MDOP. This is the Battle Axe Podcast saying don't be a pussy. Everything fucking ends. (sighs) 